4: The first degree. 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 The first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper. You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
0: I think we just needed someone as, like, a town to blame, like, someone to look at, someone to be like, okay, that's it, We're, we can all be safe again. Because I think at that point, like, especially, like, any young women, like, did not feel safe.
3: Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And right now, we are recording this episode quite early in the morning. So... Apologies if something goes awry.
4: We should be in church.
2: We should be in church right now. But- we really should. And that's why, you know, if I sound a little uptight, it's because I'm just reintroducing caffeine back into my world, which I'm regretting because I can like barely breathe. But um, that's why. it's <laughs> You know it's what would help morning. with some anxiety is some coffee. That's what I always yeah, say. Yeah, coffee no, is a good Literally, difference. I, I just, I was like, oh, right. I had coffee today, which is why I quit coffee, so...
3: Yeah. You'll be okay. yeah, you'll you'll be all right. Um, Billy, what day is it today before we jump
4: into the podcast?: Yes, it's March second. It is speaking of church. It is Ash Wednesday. Mm. But it's also International Rescue Cat Day. Aww. Oh, that's nice. Yeah,
3: and Billy, what about the uh, National Banana Cream Pie Day?
4: I was going to save that towards the end. Little cooked fruit for Alexis.
3: How do you feel about a banana cream? I don't. Is the banana? No, that's fine.
2: No, it is. Yeah, it's cooked. Bananas are creamy. It's different. It doesn't turn into like a gelatinous, sugary Mm. gelatin. It turns into like I don't want a cooked banana, but like a banana cream pie falls into sort of the creamy family. Mm, Like coconuts, an exception as well. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Very specific I... Alexis They're my rules. <laughs> they're you know
3: what they're your rules. Other people agree with them. You know you're not too far off. We have many uh, firsties that also hate the cooked, hate cooked fruit. fruit.
2: Yeah, they're smart.
3: All right. I don't think that there's any other good days. It's kind of bleak today, huh, Billy? It
4: is a it is a pretty bleak uh, uh, selection. So not
2: to be confused with bleakness. No. Not the, yes. Nothing's as bleak as bleak,
4: Max. Nothing um, is as bleak as bleak, Miss. So.
1: All right. Oh, by the well, way, I,
4: I would oh. I would like to thank everybody uh, for giving wonderful reviews. And, okay. uh, and keep them coming because yeah, if beautiful. you haven't given and us I, a
3: review, please yeah. hit that five star review.
2: Write something nice. You know, mm-hmm. let us know your thoughts. Billy reads yeah. every single one. And I you know read what? every
4: single one because on I like Patreon, to plot myself
2: on the yeah. Patreon. We're going to launch soon. He's we're going to bring back uh, the mean review. Mm. Review the the mean review reviews. Mean so review we'll, review. Yeah, exactly. So we will uh, be reading mean reviews about ourselves. Actually, that's a good idea. Yeah, that is a good idea. Wow, I just love that. Sprung that on Jack and
4: Belly. Yeah, those eventually turned into T-shirts. I mean, that became merch. The yep. Alexis Linkletter must be stopped. Must be shirt. stopped.
3: That's I know it's you know still up there. It might spark some sort of creative genius in us all. So yeah. can't wait. That's actually a really good Patreon episode. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. Coming soon. Okay. Well, that is enough of that. So let's turn down the lights
2: and turn up the anxiety. Wait, Mm. turn up your anxiety. I know. Oops.
4: (laughs) Because this could be you.
2: United States government believes that every person accused of a crime is presumed innocent unless found guilty in a court of law. This presumption is not a formality. In fact, it's the heart of our justice system and it's necessary for democracy. But let's face it, that's often not the way it works. The court of public opinion isn't governed by any such rules or protections. So what do people do? They jump to conclusions, and sometimes they become the judge, jury, and the executioner based on nothing but opinions and salacious headlines and rumors. So what happens when the public is wrong? What are the consequences? And who is affected? These are the questions we'll be exploring in today's episode.
3: So we begin today's case on March 19th of 2011. People are just getting over celebrating St. Patrick's Day, probably nursing that two-day hangover. Born This Way by Lady Gaga was the number one song on the radio, and CeeLo, Green's Fuck You, or forget you if you're listening to it on the radio, was in its 28th week at the top 10 charts. And the movie Limitless, starring Bradley Cooper, was the number one movie in
4: theaters. The setting for today's case is Hyde Park, New York, a small town with just over 20,000 people. Located in the southeastern part of the state, Hyde Park borders the Hudson River and is about 100 miles north of Manhattan. The town is known for its historic sites like the Franklin Delano Roosevelt home and presidential library, as well as its mansions, including one owned by the Vanderbilt family.
2: And our first degree for today's case is named Carrie, and she grew up in Hyde Park.
0: It's a very, very beautiful town. And the area leading in, because this is the middle of a valley, so there's a lot of hills, a lot of like narrow, kind of hilly roller coaster roads, beautiful foliage in the fall. It's a really pretty area for sure. It was kind of like, Mass in the middle between like, you know, being kind of close to New York City, but then being by Poughkeepsie, being near like Woodstock and Rhinebeck. So it's kind of like this like farming, but also kind of hippie
3: type of vibe going on. Carrie's graduating high school class had around 300 people. And one of her classmates was a girl named Catherine Filiberti. Everybody called her Katie.
0: We started going to school together in sixth grade, and we went to school together from sixth until twelfth grade. She was on the gymnastics team, which one of my best friends was also on the gymnastics team, so I knew her because they were both on the same team. But I just had random classes with her. I remember her the most from 11th grade psychology class, but I know we also had a math class together and a variety of other classes.
4: Katie was a girl in school that everyone knew and liked. She could fit in with any crowd.
0: She was good at sports and she was smart, but she was like pretty quiet. She was kind of like did her own thing, but she had a lot of friends and she kind of was one of those people that got along with everybody because she was just kind of like nice to everybody. And she was just so beautiful, like everyone either wanted to be her friend or be just be her because she was just so beautiful and so like kind of poised and good at everything that like I think a lot of people were also just like kind of jealous.
2: (laughs) During her high school years, Katie had a few on-again, off-again boyfriends. But one of the main ones was a boy named Mike Delarm, And Carrie knew him as well.
0: He was a transfer student in middle school, I believe. So he didn't go to elementary school with any of us. But of course, like being the new kid in a town that's like not that big, like
2: everyone had a crush on him. Everyone was obsessed with him because he was new. Everyone is always intrigued by a new kid at school. There's mystery there. You really have no idea who this kid is, what he's like, or what his past consists of. Here's more on Mike.
0: He was, like, very, like, kind of punk emo kid. He had, like, the side swept bangs that he, like, had, like, almost gelled into, like, a point. And he has, like, a birthmark over his, like... I kind of and he dressed like in all black and he definitely he would wear like black nail polish. He definitely had like that kind of like gothy, punky vibe going on, which I was like kind of a gothy kid, so I was like, Oh, that's sweet and then it was like, you know, even though he came in as being like gothy punk, he still ended up being like with the popular crew somehow because I don't know, maybe he's just that charismatic. After Carrie
3: graduated from high school in 2010, she moved away to go to college in central New York, but she kept up with the happenings of her former classmates on Facebook like everybody else does, and this included Katie and Mike, who stayed together after graduation. But the more Carrie settled into her new life in college, the less she thought of her old high school classmates. You know, we all grow up, we all move on, and build our worlds outside of these tiny little bubbles that we're raised in when we grow up. So she really didn't think about them much.
4: But that all changed on March 21st, 2011, when Carrie's best friend called her with some devastating news.
0: I remember her being like, hey, did you hear about Katie Filiberti? And I was like, no, like what about her? And she was like, she she was murdered after a party. And I was like, what? Like,
2: and as cliche as it sounds, like you really don't think something like that's gonna happen. Authorities released very little information about Katie's death so all Carrie knew was that she'd been found murdered in a local park. But due to the lack of information, the rumors started flooding in, and almost everyone had the same theory on who the killer probably was.
0: Everyone at first went to, to Mike Delarme because he was the last one who saw her. He was the one dating her at the time.
3: So what happened to Katie Filiberti? Why would someone want to hurt her? And would the rumors about her boyfriend Mike end up being true? So to answer all these questions, you know the drill, we got to go
4: back. Catherine Lynn Katie Filiberti was born on December 1st, 1992 in Poughkeepsie, New York to parents, Linda and John. She had a sister, Nikki, who was eight years younger than she was. Nikki looked up to Katie as a role model and inspiration, and she felt like her older sister was always there for her. Katie's family described her as being full of life, with the most infectious laughs and best hugs. She was known for her big smile and talent for gymnastics. Her longtime coach said Katie was one of the most naturally talented people he'd ever coached.
2: And along with our 1st year e. Carrie, Katie attended Franklin D. Roosevelt High School. Katie was an honor student and a member of both the gymnastic and cross-country teams. Her parents were always at her sports functions to cheer her on, and they were extremely proud of their daughter. And it was at
3: FDR High that Katie started dating Mike Delarm. Their relationship spanned over a few years and took on the recognizable on and off pattern. According to Mike, he met Katie in French class after transferring in during middle school. He flirted with her over a year before she finally agreed to go out with him. Mike felt that Katie was the most unselfish person that you could ever imagine. She was perfect. And Mike said that he wasn't the greatest guy in the world, but she loved him anyway.
4: After high school graduation, Katie enrolled at Dutchess Community College in Poughkeepsie and also started working at the school in the student services department. And Mike? Well, after graduation, he started hanging out with a bad crowd. But Katie didn't seem to mind Mike's new friends, and they continued their on-and-off-again relationship.
2: On Friday night, March 18th of 2011, Katie and Mike were in the midst of their on-again phase of their relationship. And being that it was a Friday night, they decided to go to a party that they were both invited to. The party was at a friend's house, located off Route 9G in the Greenbush neighborhood of Hyde Park. And at first, everything at the party was going well. It was going like a party. The good times were flowing, there was drinking going on, and Katie reportedly had a few drinks that night, but she definitely wasn't drunk. She was hanging out with her friends and having a good time, like 18 year olds do. But then, after midnight, something happened that ruined the entire night for Katie. Someone showed up who she didn't like. I asked Carrie if she knew about this person or what this tension was all about, and here's what she knew.
0: I think it was just someone that she was having like those petty like teenage girl fights with. And because she was, like, someone who was quiet and, like, non-confrontational, like, I think she just, like, didn't want to deal with it and was like, I'm just, I'm not going to bother with this. I'm leaving. I'm just going to go out for a walk. I'm going to go walk it off instead of, like, you know, having any sort of confrontation or something like that. So she, like, said goodbye or told Mike something, and then she, like, went out for that walk. Mike's story was that he watched Katie
3: walk down the driveway, and he figured that she'd come back once she cooled off. But she never did. And he was the last person to ever see 18-year-old Katie alive.
4: At around noon the next day, March 19th, Katie's body was found in a creek running through Green Tree Park, which was off Route 9G around five miles north of the party. According to the Poughkeepsie Journal, Green Tree Park is seven acres and is made up of a multi-purpose field with a baseball backstop and is partially surrounded by thick brush, woods, and a stream. The park is rarely used by anyone, including people who live right next door to the park. In fact, it's so unused that there's only one access route into the park, taking Sycamore Drive off Route 9G.
2: So when word got out that a body had been found, residents were surprised and scared especially since so few details were made available. Hyde Park is known for being safe and quiet. Things like this just don't happen there. In fact, there'd only been one other murder in the five years prior.
3: And because Hyde Park had little experience with homicide investigations, two other law enforcement agencies were brought in to help local police. Almost immediately, the agencies decided that their best course of action was to be as tight-lipped about the case as possible so they could minimize chances for compromise. And they may not have known about this at the time, but this decision would cause a ripple effect with long-lasting consequences.
2: When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus and I couldn't practice enough and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program. And it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways. And with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, and then sentences. And before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first-degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply. On March 21st, 2011, authorities officially publicly identified Katie as the victim found in Green Tree Park. Staying true to their plan to reveal as little information as possible, authorities did not reveal who found Katie's body when she died, her cause of death, or any possible suspects, or anything at all, really. Members of the community were left to speculate and fuel rumors. And when Carrie found out that Katie was murdered, she couldn't believe it.
0: She was like the first person that I ever knew that like, had been murdered or like had anything that tragic happen. And, you know, even though we weren't that close, like, it was so tragic. And I, I think about her all the time.
4: Just like Carrie, many Hyde Park residents were devastated over the loss of such a bright and promising light. That devastation quickly turned to frustration with how tight-lipped authorities were being. People understandably wanted to know what happened. Residents weren't sure if Katie's killer was someone she knew or some random deranged psychopath. And if the killer was a stranger, did that mean residents should be extra cautious? They were terrified and they needed answers. The police chief addressed the public, saying that while he understood their frustration over the lack of information, he was not going to compromise the investigation just to make people feel better. He said what he could tell them was that they could go about their daily lives. There was no threat to the community. Now, that fueled the speculation even further. Was this a vague confirmation that Katie's killer was, in fact, someone that she knew?
2: And as we've already shared at the top of this episode— Some spectators had already locked in on the on-again, off-again boyfriend, Mike. Plus, he was the last one to see her at the party. The true crime trope that it's always the boyfriend or it's always the husband. But sometimes it isn't the boyfriend. People wanted answers, but they weren't going to get them because the police chief kept his word. Throughout most of their investigation, authorities continued to share very little. And this decision would cause the rumor mill to be working on overtime misinformation theories, suspect possibilities or more were discussed with complete disregard for who they might be hurting or how they might be hindering the investigation. And it wasn't just residents spreading rumors and causing the massive headache for law enforcement. As we'll come to find, the media also played a large role.
0: I remember for months like everyone was just like coming up with like everything you could think of and you know blaming everyone you could think of and like just coming up with like anything you could imagine people were saying. The first big rumor
3: was that the killer
0: had to be from Hyde
3: Park. Greentree Park was way off the beaten path and only a resident would really know about it. And things started looking bad for Mike on March 22nd when the Hudson Valley News published an article reporting that he had been the last person to see Katie alive at the house party that they attended together. Online users started commenting on the article saying that Mike and Katie had gotten into this big fight and that's why she left the party. And of course, things only escalated from there. Hyde Park residents were now convinced that they knew which local man was responsible for Katie's murder. 19-year-old Mike DeLarm.
0: I think we just needed someone as, like, a town to blame, like, someone to look at, someone to be like, okay, that's it, we can all be safe again. Because I think at that point, like, especially, like, any young women, like, did not feel safe.
4: People interested in the case scoured Mike's Facebook for any piece of evidence they could find. And from the perspective of some online users, there was a lot of evidence. For example, the day after Katie was found dead, Mike posted a bunch of pictures of him and Katie with cute and funny little remarks under them. One user commented on a message board discussing Mike's Facebook. He was obviously trying to make it appear that they had this wonderful relationship. That was the quote. People were picking apart anything they could find.
2: And the rumors only intensified when online sleuths found a 2010 article detailing charges filed against Mike, his brother, and one other person. So it turns out in January of 2010, the Mid-Hudson News reported that 18-year-old Mike, his 20-year-old brother Tyler, and 19-year-old Justin Bahar were charged with gang assault in connection with an attack on two men at a McDonald's. So according to this article, quote, The incident occurred around 3.10 a.m. when a reported 7 to 10 men ganged up on the two victims. Both victims, who are 21, were treated for their injuries.
0: I wasn't super privy to this at the time, but I guess towards the end of high school or like beginning of college time, he was kind of in and out of like some gangs and was like, you know, he, he got in with a rough crowd somewhere along the way. It didn't take long for these rumors to evolve the
3: story from the victim's injuries were treated to one of the victims almost died from his injuries, and this just wasn't true. Of course, local media outlets caught wind of this rumor, but when they tried to get more information from the courts, they were told that there were no records of these charges. When asked why, the court said the charges could have been dropped or the defendants could have been acquitted, but they wouldn't elaborate any further. When the media shared what they found, it didn't really make a difference. The rumors about Mike's involvement continued.
4: Now that the court of public opinion had zeroed in on their public enemy number one, everybody watching the case now tried to figure out exactly how Mike killed Katie. The only problem was that authorities hadn't released any information that would help these armchair detectives. They only said she was found in the park and that she'd been murdered.
2: On March 23rd, Hyde Park residents got some answers when ABC 7 reported that sources had revealed that Katie's cause of death was a result of stabbing injuries. So when the press asked the authorities to confirm or deny what this news outlet was reporting, they still refused to clarify or confirm any of the details. All the police chief said was that the release of, quote, alleged facts on how Katie was killed was, quote, unconscionable. So didn't say whether it was true or not that she'd been stabbed. But it didn't matter what the police chief said. The damage had been done, and people now believe that Katie had been stabbed to death. This cause of death only helped fuel the rumor that Mike was the culprit. Unlike commenters said things like, quote, to stab someone in the face multiple times is a sign of anger and rage. It most likely was somebody she knew. Rumor has it it was somebody, whom I will not name, that has a history of violence, closed quote. So we know what the implication is here. So Mike must have felt the pressure because he made
3: the interesting decision to speak candidly with the Poughkeepsie Journal about the entire ordeal. He confirmed a few of the initial rumors about the murder. He and Katie had been at that party, and she did get upset and leave. But it wasn't because they got into an argument. It was because somebody showed up that she didn't like. Mike said he had nothing to do with Katie's murder, but few people believed him.
4: By the end of March, investigators continued to share as little detail as possible and Katie's murder was still the only thing the town was talking about. Throughout April, some people started to question if police were adequately investigating this case, because they started to fear that it was going cold. More time passes, and by mid-May, the rumors had started to die down, but many people were enraged and fed up with the lack of info. No one knew if Katie was killed by someone she knew or a stranger. It was starting to warm up outside, and residents wanted to know if it was safe to let their children play outside.
2: Then things with this case took an even more confusing turn. At the end of June, the rumors started ramping up yet again after it was reported that two local police officers had been arrested in connection with Katie's murder. So one of the officers was said to, quote, have had a relationship or contact with Katie around the time of her murder. The other officer had been seen at a local diner having dinner with the involved officer after Katie was killed. So this is shocking information. So what exactly was going on here? And had these officers really been arrested? Was this information accurate? And where was this information coming from? So the Hudson Valley News reported, quote, sources tell us the topic of conversation at the diner was the Filiberti case and the officer in question may have been trying to get ahead of the investigation by revealing a connection to Katie. So we asked Carrie to give us some insight into these specific rumors.
0: She had been dating a cop on and off, but he was, like, I guess much closer to our age and was, like, a younger cop. Someone had picked up or heard that she was dating some sort of officer, which somehow got snowballed into... It was, like, the D.A.R.E. officer at our, like, high school was the one who was, like, dating her, and they were saying that he killed her. Since he was an officer, it turned into being about the D.A.R.E. officer somehow. There was, like, more rumors that came up about, like, him and his wife and, like, them doing... Or like he was like doing like inappropriate things like at the high school on the grounds, which none of that ended up being true.
3: We want to be clear here. The officer Katie was dating was not the D.A.R.E. officer from the high school that she recently graduated from. But due to sheer power of rumor, soon that D.A.R.E. officer's reputation was ruined, just like Mike's had been. And to clarify further, whatever was going on with the real police officer that Katie had a thing with must have started when Katie and Mike were in the midst of one of their
4: off periods. These rumors became such an issue that authorities finally came out and said something. Finally, pending a news release stating no police officers were currently or ever suspects in Katie's murder. The chief said, The media coverage of this case has gotten so far off from where it should be. He said he stood behind his decision to release as little information as possible. They had a reason for doing so, and the community needed to understand that. But then he did throw the public a bone and shared one piece of information. He said that more than 30 DNA samples had been collected throughout the investigation. Now, this little tidbit gave people something to talk about for a while, but it wasn't enough to stop the speculation as to whether it was Mike or whether it was the officers that were involved.
2: More time passed, and in July of that year, during an interview, Mike told the media that he actually wasn't a suspect. In fact, he claimed that he'd been cleared via DNA. The authorities refused to comment on Mike's statement, so rumors continued to spread about his involvement. Then, on August 10th, authorities released another statement, and this was a big one. They'd made an arrest in the murder of Katie Filiberti. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Net with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this
4: when you Angie
1: that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to NetSuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's NetSuite.com slash podcast25.
3: Almost five months after Katie Filiberti had been murdered, the police made a shocking announcement. There had been arrest in the case. So who was it?
4: A local 23-year-old newspaper delivery man named Stephen Shand. He'd been arrested and charged with second-degree murder, kidnapping, and sexual assault. Now, they were shocked. It wasn't Mike. It wasn't a police officer. And evidently, it wasn't even someone Katie knew. The police investigation ultimately revealed that in the early morning hours of March 19th, Stephen Shand was delivering newspapers when he saw Katie walking along Route 9G after the party. He stopped and offered her a ride, and she said yes. Soon after she got in, he let her know that she was, quote, not free to go. Shand most likely then drove Katie to the Green Tree Park, where he held her hostage in his car for at least 30 minutes. He raped her, then strangled her until he thought she was dead. Steven then took Katie's body to the creek and dumped her. But Katie wasn't actually dead yet, so he held her head in the water until she drowned. Then he went back to delivering his newspapers.
2: It's like the most terrifying thing ever, considering that it's just like a random paths crossing. You know what I mean? Because it seemed so obvious that it was obviously these other people in her life. And it's just like, she was just walking home from a party. It's so scary. Yeah, it
3: was probably the last thing that anybody was thinking of. And what a terrifying situation.
4: I think one of the things is, and we see this a lot in crimes, is that you want it to be somebody that is related to the victim in some way, shape, or form, because you don't want to think that there's somebody out there that is killing people at random. And right. that's, what they, that's one of the reasons why they were feeding into those rumors. Yeah, exactly.
3: So charges against Stephen were upgraded after a grand jury met and handed down 10 indictments. He was then charged with three counts of first-degree murder, four counts of second-degree murder, one count of first-degree kidnapping, and two counts of first-degree predatory sexual assault. And according to the Poughkeepsie Journal, charging Stephen with multiple counts of murder was typical for defendants in cases with one victim. The counts are based on the different theories of how and why the victim
2: was killed. So residents were relieved that an arrest had been made, but they were also shocked. Everyone thought it was someone close to Katie that had killed her, not some random stranger. They were now upset that officials told them not to worry and that a killer wasn't on the loose when clearly they were.
0: I had thought the whole time that even if it wasn't, like, Mike or anyone else, that, like, it would be someone we knew. I just assumed it would be someone from our town. We had no idea who he was. Like, none of us had ever come in contact with
2: him before.
0: And just that safety net that we did have was just ripped out from underneath us.
2: So who the hell is this Steven Shand guy? And how did investigators track him down? Well, there isn't a lot known about him, and that's probably because he was born in Jamaica in 1987 and didn't move to the United States until 2002. The Shan family settled in Hyde Park, and Stephen attended Poughkeepsie High, where he played soccer, and he graduated in 2005. At the time of Katie's death, Stephen was working as a delivery driver for the Poughkeepsie Journal, ironically. His hours were between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., and his route was along Route 9G, which is exactly where Katie had gone missing. His supervisor said Stephen was, quote, quiet and reliable. He was the type of guy who would barely notice. There were never any major complaints about him. Customers have always liked him, he said. It was actually because of this paper route that investigators
3: tied Stephen to Katie's murder. Investigators first spoke with Stephen on March 26th after setting up roadblocks on Route 9G. He said he'd been delivering newspapers in the area, but had not seen any unusual events. Two days later, investigators interviewed Stephen at his home, and he talked more about his paper route. The next time he spoke with investigators was on July 15th. That's when he agreed to submit a DNA test. Later, results showed that semen found on Katie and her clothes were a match to Stephen's sample. On August 9th, Stephen was asked again to come to the station. He agreed and was confronted with these DNA results. He said that he, quote, had no contact with Katie or that he could not remember certain events from that evening. Then Stephen asked for an attorney and the interview ended.
4: When authorities told the public that Stephen had no prior criminal history, residents couldn't help but wonder, had he hurt people in the past and not gotten caught? Or did he act on an impulse he'd been keeping deep down inside of him?
0: That's another thing we were thinking about was that, like, like, yeah, like, she was beautiful. So, you know, I can see how someone would look at her and be like, ooh, like, she's really pretty. I want to talk to her. But it—he was only 23, and, like, was this the first time he ever did anything? I feel like that's, like, kind of hard to believe. So then we were all, like, freaking out, like, what else has he done?
2: As Stephen's pretrial hearings approached, the prosecution offered him a deal, which he accepted— If he pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and predatory sexual assault, he would receive a sentence no higher than 40 years to life. So many residents felt the deal was too lenient, but the prosecution stood by their decision, saying that it held Stephen accountable. Forty years was lengthy, and that he'd likely never be paroled due to the brutality of this crime. Plus, with a plea, he waived his right to an appeal— and what mattered most was that the Philiberti family fully supported the plea and his sentence. And it spared them from going through the pain of a trial.
4: On June 21st, 2012, Stephen Chan's sentencing hearing was held. Katie's mom, Linda, and her sister, Nikki, both read victim impact statements. However, Katie's father, John, was not present. Because sadly, he had died by suicide in September of 2011. He was buried next to Katie. Another tragedy, a broken heart, and another casualty of Stephen Chan's disgusting and cruel crime.
0: Her father ended up killing himself because he was just so grief-stricken, which I can't even imagine. And then his, you know, her mother and her sister were kind of left now having to grieve the loss of two of their most favorite people. I honestly, like, and I didn't know her parents at all, but, like, I feel, like, tearing up a little bit, like, just thinking about it now. Like, it was it was just so tragic, and she was just such a light for not only, like, you know, our town and for her friends and stuff, but, like, she, her family cared about her so—I mean, they still do—cared about her so much that, like, it was devastating to then lose her dad right after that.
3: At the hearing, Stephen addressed Katie's family. He said— Sorry is a word I wish I could say today to apologize for my wrongdoing, but I know it would sound like an insult coming from me. He said he hoped he would have answers, not excuses. He said, But there can be no reasoning for taking away a life. I truly regret and am sorry for this mistake that I had made. Stephen then said that he hopes that Katie's family can find even a mustard seed of forgiveness in your hearts for me.
2: Before sentencing Stephen Shand, Judge Stephen Greller didn't hold back his true feelings. He said, You are a predator. You are a monster. You are demonic, and you are the personification of evil. You killed her with your bare hands. At any point in time, you could have stopped, but you didn't do that. He said Stephen Shand showed Katie a level of brutality he hadn't encountered in many, many years. It's as bad a crime as he'd ever seen. Then the judge sentenced Stephen to 25 years to life for murder and 15 years to life for the predatory sexual assault. To be served consecutively.
4: In 2013, Stephen motioned to vacate his conviction and sentence on the grounds that he had ineffective counsel and didn't fully understand the plea deal. The motion was denied. And as we said earlier, since Stephen took a plea deal, he's unable to file an appeal. Today, Stephen is incarcerated in Clinton Correctional Facility. He will not be eligible for parole until August 2051 when he's 63 years old. But since he's not an American citizen, if he is paroled, he will be immediately deported back to Jamaica.
3: Without a full trial, residents never got answers to their many unanswered questions.
0: We all had questions and we wanted to know, like, who is this person? How did he end up here? Why, why did he do this? Why, why Katie? Like, why all of this? And we didn't really, like, learn anything else about him except for that, like, he was doing his paper route and that he was, like, newer to the area. And then I didn't really hear anything else about him. Everyone was just like, oh, thank God he's, he's caught. And then, you know, the town just continued to, like, mourn Katie and didn't really think about him again.
4: Hyde Park may never think about Stephen Shan again, but they certainly still remember Katie. They celebrate her memory through gymnastics invitationals and the Catherine Filiberti Memorial Scholarship Fund.
0: At our high school, FDR high school, there was the Katie Filiberti Memorial Fund to give like money to kids who were, you know, really engaged in community and really engaged in athletics and were just kind of like all around like a upstanding student. She was such a sweet, beautiful, like good person. And I feel like we don't have a lot of those necessarily in our world. Like, I mean, we do, but we don't have enough that like they can be just taken so senselessly out of the blue. I just feel like she was going to do, like, something really cool or something really, like, good and impactful, and she just never got the chance.
2: We asked Carrie what she's taken away from the senseless murder of Katie.
0: Growing up, my parents were always like, you know, don't go out here by yourself. Like, basically, if you leave our house, you're going to be kidnapped and you're going to die. And I was absolutely terrified (laughs) of everybody at that point. And then I, you know, things didn't seem to really turn out that way so i was like oh like maybe maybe my parents were overreacting and then immediately after graduation a classmate gets murdered in exactly the way we were like told to be afraid of and i was like oh oh this is really this is real
3: Well, a huge thank you to Carrie for being our first degree guest for this episode. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at the first Please follow us on Instagram at the first degree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vianic. Join our Facebook group by searching the first degree in the search bar. We are talking true crime all the time. And come back around tomorrow because we're going to have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed.
4: And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close.
2: But But not, not that that close. Close. A mess. What day was it?
4: Banana cream pie day.
2: Happy Mm. banana cream pie day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are The Daily Freeman, The Poughkeepsie Journal, CBS, NBC, ABC, Mid-Hudson News, AWOL News, True Crime Diary, Court Documents, and Hudson Valley News. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. You can start your day
1: off
3: right.